Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Today is week four of our series, Bigger, Better, Bolder. We believe that God is enlarging our territory, and he's helping us to do that by, first of all, changing the image on the inside of us. Amen? Uh, Remember a few weeks ago, we said you have to see it on the inside before you ever get to see it on the outside, because vision is a mental picture of the preferred future that God has already designed, that he has already imagined for us. In order for us to tap into that preferred vision, we have to bring our lives into alignment with what God sees. Amen? That means we have to get God's perspective on our lives. And we believe as a church, we're in a season where God is saying, hey man, stretch the tents, uh, stretch those cords, enlarge your capacity to receive what I'm about to do next. Amen? But in conjunction with that, I think it's critically important to understand the part that we get to play in that. One of my instructors in Bible school would always say, uh, uh, there's a God side and a man side to every miracle. Amen? Uh, That the man side and the God side together create an explosive force for God. God is always faithful to do his part. Uh, Sometimes we fall short on doing our part. Amen? But that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about our part in experiencing the fullness of God's plan and purpose and will for our lives. Amen? It's not only up to God. Remember we just prayed that we ought to be doers of the word? There are some people who think that because we're in a dispensation of grace and that Jesus finished the work on the cross that we just sit down and do nothing. But the scripture calls us co-laborers together with God. That means we get to partner with God. That means what God desires to do in the earth, he will do in us first and then through us. So we are in partnership with God. And I want to talk to you about one aspect of that partnership with God, and it has to do with our words. It's a big, big deal. Even from the very beginning of time, we see that God spoke everything that we see created into existence. He didn't fashion and form it with his hands. He spoke it into existence. And the Bible invites us to have the God kind of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, have faith in God. But the very literal translation from the Greek into English is have the God kind of faith. What is the God kind of faith? The Bible says the God kind of faith calls those things that are not as though they were. That's why God looked over the expanse of darkness and he said, light be. Literal translation in the Hebrew. Uh, We would translate it, let there be light. God spoke light into void and chaos. And God wants us to operate in the very same way In the earth, because God has placed life-giving power in our words. In fact, Jesus went a step further and he says, the words you speak, they are spirit and they are life. There are scientific experiments that bear witness to this fact. In fact, in Japan a few years ago, they did a study where they had two plants and they split the class in half. And every single morning, the kids came to school, they had half of the class walk to a plant and just speak words of, this is weird sounding, words of affirmation. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so pretty. They talked to a plant. 
And then they had the other group go over to the other plant and just say all kinds of mean and nasty things to a plant. Guess what happened over time? The plant that the kids spoke life to grew and flourished. The plant that the kids spoke negative words to withered and died. It sounds bizarre. It sounds weird. But how many of you realize that we frame our world with the words that we speak? And a lot of times we lose sight of the fact that what we are experiencing in our lives is a direct, excuse me, result of what we're saying. Because our words are a good gauge of what is happening on the inside of us. And that's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. You can always check a person's spiritual heart health by the words that's coming out of their mouth. Man, I sound like Chris Tucker. Do you understand, mama, the words that's coming out my mouth? And the Lord wants to remind us today that the miracle we desire is right here in our mouth. Long before all these motivational speakers and self-help gurus were talking about this, the Bible taught it. Uh, Today, psychologists have a word they use. They call it self-fulfilling prophecy. It's what the Bible's been talking about for centuries, that you and I will have what we say because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Now, the challenge goes back to what we talked about last week, right? Because life will always present to us two competing or contradictory testimonies. There is the testimony of God, what God said in his word, and the testimony of my circumstances, what I see, what I feel, what I can touch. And how many of you realize that sometimes what God promised doesn't look anything like what I'm experiencing right now. What we end up doing is we talk about the mountain instead of doing what Jesus said in Hebrews 11, which was speak to the mountain. Jesus didn't say grumble and complain that there is a mountain in your life. He said, open up your mouth and speak to it. And that mountain will move and be cast into the sea because of the power of your faith-filled words. Listen to me, listen to me. Jeremiah chapter one and verse 12 says it this way, that God watches over his word to perform it. What does God watch over? His word coming out of my mouth to perform it. What God is not watching over is my whining, my complaining, my mumbling, and my grumbling. If God were moved simply by my tears, there wouldn't be one hurting person in the world. Because God would respond as soon as he saw a tear. Yet the scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I'm saying something to you. So what is critical 
in order for us to experience what God has promised. He's already promised it. Remember last, last week we said God has promised it, but not only did he promise it, he swore an oath. And not only did he swear an oath that he would fulfill his promise, he cut a covenant, a blood covenant to say, if I said it, I'm going to do it. Our part is to align our lives with the promise of God, even when the circumstances contradict what God said. That's radical faith. So last week I had a moment of of, of transparency with you. I told you all about how uh, I grew a little bit frustrated because we planted a tree in the backyard that the children's ministry uh, had gifted us, our family, in honor of my mom. And everything I read about the tree suggested that it was a fast-growing tree and that it should have begun the process of budding or blooming within four weeks. And it had been over four weeks. We were going into the fifth week, and I saw nothing. Now, let me tell you about how your pastor is wired. My tendency when things aren't going my way, my tendency when I don't see the promise of God, when I know God spoke to me and it doesn't seem to be happening, I am a fixer. And if it's not happening, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to murmur and grumble. I ain't going to have a pity party. I'm going to try to fix it. But how many of you realize trying to fix something that God is allowing to simmer and settle is just as bad as the person who's complaining? Can I tell you about somebody who tried to fix what God was working on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we love them because when we read the Bible now, Abraham and Sarah, they, they, they are the model of faith. But how many we realize that when it was taken too long for the fulfillment of the promise, not Abraham, but Sarah said, God promised us a son. He's taken too long. Here go Hagar. And Abraham smiled from ear to ear. He said, you sure, baby? (laughs) And they had a son named Ishmael. How many of you realize, listen to me, listen to me, the danger of trying to make things happen on your terms. Let me tell you the danger of that. They not only produced a son named Ishmael, but all of Ishmael's descendants are today the Arabs who are the bane of the existence of the Israelites. Listen to me. The reason there is a conflict right now in the Middle East is because Sarah and Abraham got impatient. And they produced a son that wasn't the promised son named Ishmael. And every descendant of Ishmael now lives in the Middle East And they are the reason that there is conflict between Arabs and Jews. Listen to me. It didn't seem like a big deal. It didn't seem like a big deal to take matters into your own hands in that moment. Because sometimes, oh, it's my life. I could do what I want to do. But they produced something that centuries later we're still suffering for. So that's the way I am. I'm a fixer. If it seems like it's not happening on my terms, I try to fix it. So I told you all last week I was about to 
Did I tell you last week what I was going to do? I was about to, to uproot the tree and plant it somewhere else. Maybe it's getting too much sun. Maybe it doesn't have enough shade. Whole time not realizing God was teaching me a lesson in faith and patience. Because Thursday, in fact, let me tell you, let me tell you how, how this, Levi has a, we have a neighbor and their middle son, his name is Ryan, and I think Ryan is seven. And one day Ryan came to visit Levi and they went out to the backyard to jump on the trampoline. And when they were coming back in, this is what Ryan said to Levi. He said, Levi, why did you plant a twig in your backyard? That tree to that seven-year-old boy looked like nothing but a twig. Even though I know what the tree is supposed to look like when it's fully mature. And every day for two months, you're going out there looking at a tree, something that's supposed to be a tree, and all you see is a twig. So I was about to take matters in my own hand. uproot a tree and plant it somewhere else because I know more than the landscaper who chose the spot who is a professional at what he does. I wanted to help him. Ooh, I'm sweating. Did y'all notice last week I had my Bishop Jake's anointing. I sweat through my jacket. Y'all didn't want to tell pastor I might be sweating through him now. I came out. Oh, not yet. I know. Not yet, my. I looked at my jacket, I was like, my armpits. I was like, wow, Pastor. Now, I'll blame it on the deodorant. Because I tried a new one, degree, because they said it was body heat activated. Isn't that what they advertise? So that when you sweat, man, these, the antiperspirant's supposed to kick in. Didn't work. And it doesn't feel like it's working today either. Come on, somebody. I, I, feel, I feel that sprinkle coming right under there. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Dexter, for the... So y'all don't... Y'all don't... Yeah. Y'all be nice to pastor. I might go back to what I used to use. Okay. What was I talking about? The tree. So on Thursday, I, I missed a call from my dad... And when I got back uh, to my desk, he called me at work. When I got back to my desk, saw the missed call, I called him back. And, uh, and he was, man, he was so excited because he went to the backyard. And when he went to the backyard, he looked at the twig. But when he looked at the twig, he saw something that looked like maybe a butterfly or grasshopper from a distance. Ooh. So he walked a little bit closer. And what appeared to be a butterfly was really something else. Because the tree had started to show signs of life. I think I have a picture. Do I have a picture of it? I think we got a little picture. Come on, somebody. I am Groot. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. See, now now I'm praising and celebrating. Because I see something. But all along, God was at work in the tree, under the ground, things I couldn't see. And my words 
didn't necessarily match up with what I knew to be true about God and about that tree. Can, I, can we put this other picture on there, the, the little cartoon? Because this is where I want us to, to spend some time today. That's, that, that, that's, that's what most of our lives look like. The line of complaints is endless. But the line at the window of gratitude is empty. And a lot of times our gratitude is, is restricted and it's limited to and defined by our circumstances. If life is good, I'm going to be happy. But when it gets tight, I'm going to jump in that other line and complain. Now, I'm going to take some time and break this down for you because this is critically important. Your miracle is in your mouth. What I'm saying is making all the difference in my world. My words are framing my world right now. Because you will always have what you say. Are y'all with me? So notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. This is going to be our anchor text uh, for uh, this morning. Notice what he says. In Philippians chapter 2, it's verses 14 through 16. But let me just read the first part of it from the King James rendering of this verse, and then I'll read what it says in the message, okay? Because the Lord wants to help us. He wants to move us from that complaint line into the gratitude line because that's where the miracles begin to manifest. That's where faith begins to grow. In fact, I was tempted to give this message another title, which was simply this, what to do between amen and whoop, there it is. But that was a little ratchet. So I reeled it back in. How many of you realize that between your amen and God's there it is, there's a thing called time. And most of us have not learned the art of what to do while we wait. Most of us have not learned what the Bible says to do while we wait. Can I just begin by sharing with you what not to do while you wait? Bible is explicit. It is crystal clear, and it says the last thing you want to do while you wait is right here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. He says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Listen to me. (laughs) While you wait, the last thing you want to do is murmur and or complain. But how easy it is, y'all. When life puts that squeeze on you to respond with murmuring and complaining. But I know we got a house full of great cooks, man. Y'all can throw down. How many of you realize that some of the best food happens 
on low simmer. Come on, some of y'all cooking that pot roast right now. It's going to sit there for hours. Come on. But most of us have traded our faith in. We don't want a low simmer faith. We just want to pop it in the microwave. And there are very few things that taste good in a microwave like TV dinners. Let me tell you something. The finest meal you will ever eat is going to take some time. Come on, somebody. And sometimes what God is trying to do is he's trying to break our appetite. He's trying to break our appetite for lesser things. What he's trying to do is upgrade our palate. Come on, somebody. He's trying to take us off of this fast food version of faith and give us some filet mignon. Come on, somebody. One of the most challenging things we have with, with, with our son Levi is when we leave church, he's going to ask, where are we going to eat? <laughs> and if it's a sit down and wait to be seated, in fact, when we tell him where we go, and the first thing out of his mouth is, how long will it take? Come on, Lee. Because most of our kids today, man, drive through is the solution to everything. I know some of y'all got your favorite spots, man. But how many of you realize that the drive through version of what we eat doesn't take a whole lot of time? Yet we want God's best, and we're not even willing to allow God to prep that meal. To source, to source the food. Come on, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, that, that cage-free chicken. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And how many of you realize that that, that that meal that's healthier, that's organic, takes a little bit longer, it takes a little bit more time, and it costs a little bit more. But most of us have settled, though, for just instant fast food. How many, some, maybe today God just wants to upgrade your, your palate for some sushi. Any sushi lovers in the house today? I see one or two, three, four hands. I'm going to put my hand up halfway. Because I do the rolls, I do the tempura stuff. I don't get down with the sashimi with the raw fish. It's a texture thing for me. Yeah. Are you with me? But how many of y'all got your favorite fast food joint? I see one hand. I think I know which one of yours is. Mickey D's. See, I do it. I do it. How did I know? I just, I just picked your game. So, so check this out. Where are all my Mickey D fans in the house? Uh, what, no, no. Uh, one, two. All right. Now, if you're a diehard Mickey D fan, there is an event that happens about every 18 months to 24 months because they bring back the McRib. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I, I, Mickey D's is my go-to, but I'm just saying this for my Mickey D fans. And, and, and uh, so, so, so when I first came to the States, I went out to eat with a dude and, you know, and uh, he said, man, you got you to gotta try one of these, man. I said, okay. I said what is it? <laughs> he said, man, this is a McRib, bro. It's the best thing McDonald's does. For a limited time only. 
So I said, okay. So I had my first bite of the McRib. You know, and listen, listen. All barbecue sauce ain't created equal. Now on the McRib, they got this tangy, come on somebody, this tangy barbecue sauce. I ain't had a McRib in 20 years. Let me just... But I still remember biting into that McRib. I ate the whole sandwich though. Facts. But ever since that day, I've asked myself this question. Every other rib I've eaten got a bone. (laughs) And you eat the meat off the bone. I just ate a whole sandwich that's got ridges like it's got a bone. And I chewed through something that felt like ligaments and tendons. So I present to you this morning, City Church, this question. Where did that rib come from? I just want to know what animal's rib that is. It ain't, it ain't pork. It ain't beef. Harry said, it could be a lizard. What am I preaching about this morning? Words coming out of your mouth. Wait on God. What to do while you wait. I dare you to go out and buy a McRib sandwich when they... Just put a whole new perspective on it. I know y'all be eating that McRib low-key though. Loki, Shavonda, no, Brian, Terrell, okay, nobody knows what it is. Mystery meat. Okay, let me get back to the message. Here we go. What to do while you wait. The tendency is often for us to murmur and complain while we're waiting on God. But notice what the psalmist said in Psalm 27. He said, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That word good courage also translates to be of good cheer. How many of you realize maintaining a positive mental attitude while things are not going your way is one of the most courageous things you'll ever do? So when the psalmist says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, what he's saying is, Get your praise up. Let your words begin to match the testimony of God, not the testimony of your circumstances. Because the most courageous thing you'll ever do is agree with God when what you're seeing doesn't match what he promised. So when the Lord says your miracle is in your mouth, the first thing that he has to evict, the first thing that he has to get out is what's coming out of our mouths. And more often than not is murmuring and complaining. Notice, notice what Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 say in the message. It says, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Ah, I, I wish I had time to, to, to talk about this, but let me just tell you what those two words mean. 
because Paul is very specific in what he's writing to the church in Philippi. He, he, he uses two very uh, unique, very distinct Greek words. And the first word translated murmuring is that word right there, gongismos. You know what that word means? That word means a secret debate. It speaks to a secret displeasure not openly avowed. That means... Y'all know how we do now. When life ain't going under our way, we have this secret debate. We're mumbling and we're murmuring under our breath. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Do it with your boss. You do it with your spouse. Just on the inside, there is a secret displeasure toward the season that you're in and what God is doing. I'm talking to somebody. Yet the miracle is right here in my mouth. And what I choose to do is instead of activating faith, I turn on my murmuring switch. And I start to have this secret debate, but it's not just a debate. It's really my displeasure. Maybe I ain't expressing it to everybody else, but on the inside, I ain't happy about this. God, you tripping. And I didn't sign up for none of this. And most of us go through life murmuring. And Paul, Paul says, do everything without murmuring. The second thing he says is disputing, and that word disputing can also be translated complaining. And it comes from another Greek word, which is dialogismos, which means when we get the word dialogue is a deliberating, or we begin to deliberate and we begin to question what is true. And what was a secret debate now becomes a public conversation. What was murmuring between you and God now starts to infect everybody. And that's exactly what happened with the Israelites. God was taking them into a place of promise. It was just taking a little bit longer than they planned. But what they didn't realize was that what was coming out of their mouth had a lot to do with how long they stayed in the wilderness. Y'all missed that. Depending on which commentator you read, this was a journey that should have taken anywhere from 11 to 21 days to get out of Egypt into Canaan. How come it turned into 40 years? How did a 21-day trip turn into 40 years? It was what was coming out of their mouths. It was their murmuring and complaining. And I love what Joyce Meyer says. She said, if you complain, you remain. Let me tell you three things they complained about. Anybody know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Let's have Bible study real quick before I wrap up. Anybody know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Y'all seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anybody know what was in the, temp in the, in the Ark? Come on, Bible students. Come on now. Come on, come on. Y'all give it to me. Y'all give it to me. Yeah, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rod that budded. Cup of manna. What else? Ten Commandments. Who said Ten Commandments? Ding, 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 ding. Is that Mariah? Awesome. There were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Aaron's rod that budded, the Ten Commandments, and a pot of manna. There was a reason God instructed them to put those three items 
in the Ark of the Covenant because those three things were a constant reminder of the stiff nakedness of the Israelites. The cup of manna represented the fact that the Israelites complained against God's provision. Listen to me. God was pouring bread from heaven. That's a miracle in and of itself. And he says, look, you don't, in fact, he said, just collect enough for one day. He was teaching them the lesson of faith. He said, because if you collect more than what you need for one day, it's going to spoil overnight. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them this lesson that I will be your daily bread. He said, don't trip. Just get enough for today because tomorrow when you wake up, what you need is going to be there. And how many of us trip over God's provision? There are people sitting in this room right now that that job that was your praise report is now your complaint. That job was your testimony. But now you hate going into work. You prayed that God would give you a breakthrough and you even bucked a couple of times when you prayed. Now you got the job. And things aren't going the way you scripted it. And now your murmuring has turned into complaining. And you toxic. When your co-workers see you coming, they all disperse. They complained against God's provision. And how many of us right now, God has made provision for us. But it ain't good enough. Steady want more. Measuring our lives against what everybody else got. And God said, every day I'm pouring out manna from heaven. And they put a cup of manna in the Ark of the Covenant to remind the Israelites that they complained against God's provision. This ain't good enough, man. God, you can do better. <clears throat> now, one day, Moses brought that complaint, Mama Washington, to the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to take care of them. He sent quail into the camp. There was so much meat. Listen, listen, listen to me. The manna wasn't an indication that God couldn't do better. What God was trying to do was, I brought them out of Egypt. Now I got to get Egypt out of them. I'm going to put them in some situations and circumstances that will force what is in them to come to the surface. Because they can't go into Canaan with that funky attitude. So I'm going to continue to send them manna until their complaining turns to gratitude. And they refuse. So for 40 years, God was waiting for their complaining to turn into gratitude. And they were just 21 days away from the land of Canaan. And instead of thanking God for what he had provided, they continued to complain. So one day God sent quail. And the scripture said there was so much quail in, in the camp that it was like meat was coming through their teeth. You ever floss? You ever bite into a piece of meat? And you get that meat stuff? Yeah, that's what it was. There was so much meat in the camp that was coming out the teeth. But notice what Psalm 106 says. Psalm 106 said, they tested the Lord and they complained against the Lord. It says, he gave them meat, but he sent leanness in their soul. There are a lot of people walking around here. They've complained so much. Say, okay, here you go. This is what you want. You want a husband. 
You want a wife, you want that job, here you go. And it comes with leanness in your soul. You know what that word means? It comes with that emptiness. You got what you wanted, but you still ain't happy. Got what you wanted, still ain't satisfied. It is, a, it is a Hebrew word. It was a unit of measure called an ephah. So they would use an ephah to measure like we have one cup. And the literal translation for that word leanness in their soul is like having the cup almost full. That's a frustrating place to be. My cup is almost full. And that's what God did with them because they complained against his provision. Yet their miracle was in their mouth. And sometimes God will put us in a place long enough to get Egypt out of us. And part of getting Egypt out of us is getting us from the complaint line to the gratitude line. And the way we do that is I will continue to send manna until they're thankful. Oh, look, look, here's, the second thing. here's the second thing you put in. The Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments represented Israel's rebellion against God's instructions. How many of you realize that a lot of times we want God's blessing, but we want it on our terms? And listen to me, God's instructions, God's instructions, they are guardrails to keep us from running off the road. And God put the guardrails in place for the Israelites, and they steady pushed back against it. And most of us are like that in life, though. We ignore the guardrails and wonder why we derailed. How did I end up in this ditch? Because I wanted a guardrail-free life. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Uh, the Ten Commandments were like an umbrella. And he says, if you come under the umbrella, you don't get wet. He said, No. We don't want to get under that umbrella. We're going to do our own thing. And then we wonder why we wet. Are you with me? They murmured and complained against God. Oh, Jesus. I just had a sweet brown moment. Oh, Jesus, it's afar. Here's the third one. There was a reason the third item was the rod of Aaron that budded. The reason they put that, uh, the Lord instructed Moses to put that in the, in the ark was because one day these guys got mad. They said, look, man, Moses, you ain't the only person God can talk to. God can talk to me too. And we've been following you, and we stuck in this place for 40 years. I can go and talk to God for myself. Can I tell you that most of the problems that Moses dealt with came from the leaders who infected the people? So, um, God said, Aaron, uh, uh, all these leaders that say I should be talking to them too, tell everybody to bring a rod, their rod, and said, this time tomorrow, when y'all wake up, whichever rod has budded, that's who I talk to. And the next morning, when they woke up, 
the only rod that had budded was Aaron's rod. And God made it crystal clear that this is who I'm going to talk to. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not saying this to be self-serving. Um, there is a reason God took issue with the Israelites when they pushed back against his delegated authority. I wish I could find the verse, but, but there's a verse, I think it's in Psalm 78, I think maybe Psalm 78, uh, 72, maybe somewhere in there. But the scripture says that God led the Israelites by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Listen to me, who was leading the Israelites? God was. By whose hand? Moses and Aaron. So whenever they came against Moses and Aaron, God was saying, you coming against me, man. I am leading you by their hand. In fact, I got to find it so y'all don't think I'm making, making this up. So let me just find it and then I'm going to close. Man, I only got through my first page. This is happening more frequently. Is this helping anybody yet? I haven't even gotten to the miracle part yet. I haven't even gotten the miracle in your mouth yet. We're going to talk about that next week. Psalm 78. Huh? 7720. I knew it was somewhere in there. Psalm 7720. God was leading them by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so God says, this will be a constant reminder of your murmuring and complaining against me because you complained against my provision. You complained against my rules or my regulations, my instructions, which are only there for your protection. How many of you realize when you cover a socket in your house, it's not there to, because you want to be mean to your child. It's there because you want to keep them from sticking a fork in it. But how many of you realize we got children that are really, really, really curious? And that's the way we are too. God says, look, I covered up that socket for a reason, for your protection. Nah, I'm going to take off that socket and stick this fork in so I can feel it for myself. That's the way we are. And God gave them these guardrails and they said, no, we're going to do it our way. And then finally they rebelled against God's authority. So the miracle is in your mouth. This is why I'm going to close. This is why I'm going to close. This is why I'm going to close. Uh, notice that verse I told you about, about leanness in their soul. Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verses 14 and 15 from the Message Bible. This is how it reads. He said, they only cared about pleasing themselves in that desert. They provoked God with their insistent demands. <laughs> this sounds a whole lot like most of our prayer lives. Demand after demand after demand after demand. They, listen to what the scripture says. They provoked God with their insistence. That means they kept on demanding more and more and more and more of God. So notice what it says. It says he gave them exactly what they asked for. But along with it, they got an empty heart. Leanness of soul. God said, I'm going to give you what you want. And God has done that more than once. He did that with the Israelites another time when they insisted that they wanted to have a king. God says, I'm your king. 
They said, no, we want to be like everybody else, and they ended up with Saul. There are times when God will give you what you want, but it's going to come with some emptiness of soul. Are y'all listening to me this morning? <laughs> he wants to move us from that, can you put that picture up there, from that complete line and get us over to gratitude, to get us over to just giving thanks, giving thanks, okay? So this is why I'm going to close. Uh, this is why I'm going to close. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote this blog several years ago. It's one of my favorite, and I revisit it often. It's about attitude. Do we have that? Let's put it on the screen, and you'll read along, because this is where I'm going to wrap up. Chuck Swindoll, who is the pastor of Stonebriar Community Church right here in Frisco for years. He was the president of... Um, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, wrote these words. It says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. How many of you realize that, that the words that come out of our mouths are informed by our attitude to what is happening to, to us in life? If I have a bad attitude about what's happening to me, my words are going to come out as murmuring and complaining if my attitude if how I see, how I perceive what I'm going through is wrong, my words will be wrong. So Chuck Swindell said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, than giftedness or skill. Attitude will make or break a company, a church, or even a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day. Listen to that. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. Listen to me. Listen to me. When I wake up and my feet hit the ground, I have a choice about the attitude I will have today. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what people say to me, say about me, do to me, I choose. Nobody can choose your attitude for you. Nobody can choose your attitude for you. Your attitude is your perception and your response to what is happening around you. Only you can choose it. Every single day you get out of bed, you get to choose how you will respond to your day. With murmuring and complaining or with gratitude. Notice, he says we cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. Y'all hear that? Some people just going to be knuckleheads. You can't change them. They're just going to be who they are. But you have a choice, though. You have a choice in whether or not you will allow what they say and what they do. Listen to me. A boat floating in the ocean is fine until the water starts getting in the boat. It can float on oceans. It can sail the seven seas. But the minute that boat starts filling up with water, what's going to happen? It's going to sink. And that's the way we are. Instead of just, I mean, just floating, 
allowing our attitude, man, to just allow us to even sail through the storms. We allow the storm to get in us. And then we sink and drown. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. Are y'all listening to me? The one string you and I have every single day is the attitude we choose. Lady came to Eleanor Roosevelt. She was upset. And explained all the things this person had done to her, blah, 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 blah. And Eleanor Roosevelt looked her square in the eye and said this. Don't ever give anybody permission to make you feel that way. And that's what we do every day with our attitudes. We give people permission to make us feel less than we are. The one string you and I have is our attitude. Ah. And so he ends, and so we are with our attitudes. I am convinced, listen to Chuck Swindoll, I am convinced that life is 10%, listen, 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. I got to say this and I'll let you go. Can you give me five minutes? Five minutes, I'll let you go. This is going to help you. This is going to help you. Five minutes, I'm going to let you go. Attitude! That was a big word in the 90s. So you got attitude. But listen to this. We just talked about what not to do, right, while you wait. No murmuring, no complaining. The reason we murmur and complain is about our attitude toward what we're seeing. See what I'm saying? The Lord will help us change our perspective about what we're seeing. Because the Lord allows us to go through these things, again, to get Egypt out of us so that he can bring us into the promised land. Are you all with me? If, if, listen to me, listen to me, if you were to go right now to a goldsmith and you had some gold and you threw it and you give it to the goldsmith and you threw it in the furnace, depending on the purity of that piece, you're going to start seeing stuff, right? Impurities. And what the impurities going to do? They're going to rise to the top. Right? And he's going he's to scrape it off. But then the goldsmith has to crank up the furnace a little bit more to get even more impurities out. Often, in antiquity, the goldsmith would heat up the furnace seven times in order to get pure gold, where no more impurities arise. You say to yourself, man, it just seems like this furnace I've been in is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. All he's trying to do is to get those things out of you. In fact, sometimes God will put you in circumstances like, where did that come from? Like, like I'm talking about the things coming out of you. Listen to me, it's always been in there. That piece of gold that you took to the goldsmith, all those impurities were in there. You just didn't know it. It wasn't visible to the naked eye. And sometimes God says, I'm going to put you in a little bit of pressing, a little bit of crushing, so the things that have been in you this whole time that you didn't even know were lurking in your heart. They're going to come out. And the reason I want them to come out is because I want you to deal with them. Y'all not listening to me? That murmuring and complaining has always been there. 
But he brings us into a place where it surfaces so he can deal with it. One of the stories that I love, listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, uh, uh, Will. One of, what I love, y'all know when the manna stopped coming from heaven? Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12 says, the day that they tasted the grapes in the promised land, the manna stopped. What was God saying? I have gotten them to a place where they have learned the lesson of gratitude for what I have provided already. So that when they got the new thing, he no longer needed to give them manna because they had learned the lesson. Y'all, y'all, are y'all listening to me this morning? Look at my stance right now. Come on, somebody. Okay, I'm letting y'all go. You can, you can, play, you can play the Academy Award music so I know it's time for me to get off the stage. I, I, I got to say this and I'm going to let y'all go. Asan, I'm going to let y'all go in a second. Asan is a Burger King man, though. That's my buddy. He's a Burger King guy. Uh, Flame-grilled Whoppers. Flame-grilled. Come on, somebody. Here's the three things. I told you what not to do. I'm going to go fast and furious. Three things to do while you wait. Number one, remember the good. If you're going to have the right attitude when life isn't going in your favor. You got to find something to hold on to and you've got to remember the good. How soon we forget. How Listen, God had just brought the Israelites. They had just seen Pharaoh and his armies drown in the Red Sea. Right? And a lot of times we say, oh, if I were there, I would think, no, 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 no. How many things has God already delivered you from that you have forgotten? Remember the good. Notice what Psalm 37, 3 and 4, it says, trust in the Lord and just do good. Listen to me. One of the toughest things to do while you wait is to do good for others while things ain't going your way. Trust in the Lord and do good. Just do good while you're waiting and trust. Just trust him and do good. Notice the next thing he says. He says, he says, dwell in the land. That's an old Hebrew term, which means stand flat-footed. Stand flat-footed. Don't let anything shake you or move you while you wait. Trust in God. Do good. Plant your feet firmly. Notice what it says. Here's the phrase, and feed on his faithfulness. When you're waiting on God to come through again like he's done before, just make his faithfulness your food. If he did it then, he'll do it again. He says, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you're waiting on God, the attitude that will get me from the complaint line to the gratitude line is, I have to remember the good. Number two, give thanks. While I wait, just begin to give thanks. Here's the deal. When I remember what God has done, the response is always going to be thanksgiving. Instead of murmuring and complaining, I'm going to be thankful for what he's already done. How he's already shown himself strong. And notice what 1 Thessalonians 5, it says what? Every now and then when life is good, give thanks. No, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. People often ask, well, I need to know the will of God. Give thanks. Well, what's the will of God for my life? Give thanks. Well, I want to know, just be grateful. 
And I've discovered the more grateful I am, the easier it becomes to hear the voice of God and receive God's direction. It's hard to get direction from God when you're complaining and murmuring about what he already did. Then he wanted him to give you more. No, just give thanks. It'll position you to hear from the third and final thing. Here's the last one. Just agree with God. Just agree with God. Here's that word, Hebrews 10 and 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What do I mean agree with God? The word translated confession is the uh, Greek word homologeo, which means same speak or same word. It simply means come into cadence with God. Begin to say what you hear God say. Jesus did that well. Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. And so in those seasons, in those seasons, in those seasons, when you're waiting, don't murmur. I'm talking about that secret debate. <laughs> don't complain when that debate goes public. Choose to do these three things. Remember the good. Give thanks and agree with God. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray you'll... We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you are encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text City Church TV and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.